Who are they? How did they get here? And where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojourner Podcast. The Sojourner Podcast is brought to you by Johnson University's Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today we're joined in the Sojourner podcast by 2005 Johnson University, Tennessee graduate, Rachel Oblon Grindle. Rachel, welcome to the Sojourner Podcast. Hi, Tyson. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of this today. Looking forward to our conversation. So to get started, Rachel, would you mind giving a general introduction of yourself to the audience so people who don't know who Rachel Oblon Grindle is <laughs> will know who you are? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from Johnson in 05, like you said, with a double major in youth ministry, preaching, and Bible. I am married to Stephen, and we have twin three-year-old boys, August and Beckler, and then a 10-month-old boy, Cascade. So we've got our hands full. Currently, I am an adjunct professor at Ozark Christian College, but all of that is about to change this January. I knew it was, so we'll look forward to getting into that. Husband, Stephen. August Beckler. Beckler. are the twin three-year-olds. And then Cascade is the youngest, 10 months old, and they're all named after mountains. I was going to ask you about that because that was <laughs> you know, a unique series of names. So mountains, August Mountain, Beckler Mountain, Cascade. Okay, I think I know G- Cascade. August and Beckler? Yeah, they all ended up being in the state of Washington. That wasn't by plan, but we fell in love with the name Beckler first, and then we really liked the name Rainier. But my husband, being a twin, was very adamant that you cannot give one twin a 14er and another twin a 6,000-foot peak. So we needed to find (laughs) something that was similar. And so three hours by car away from the Beckler Peak is August Peak. And then once we had another boy, decided we really like the name Cascade, and it also happens to be in the state of Washington. That's cool. To get started with, where were you raised? I was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was a graduate of Perry Meridian High School near Greenwood. Were you raised in a Christian home? I wasn't. Uh, I was raised Catholic, baptized in the Catholic Church, First Communion in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And in junior high, my mom uh, kind of made a declaration that she was done with church, with God, with all of it. So as a family, we just stopped going. And then my freshman year of high school, my sister actually was invited to a Christian church youth group, and I decided to tag along, and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. So what church was that? It was Mount Pleasant Christian Church in Greenwood, Indiana. That sounds like it's going to be an interesting story, so uh, let's dig into that a little bit. Raised in a Catholic home all the way up through confirmation and everything else, what was your faith like at the time that your mom said, that's it, I'm done? You know, it was really non-existent. For me, church was good if I got a donut at the end. 
And if I didn't, then we just kind of wasted our Sunday morning. So it was junior high. It was tumultuous, right? I didn't really get along with my parents. uh, So not having to spend the whole morning with them was pretty great. And I got to sleep in. In high school, when I went, I went into a very large youth group, 200 some students who all somehow secretly knew all of the hand motions to all of the songs. And I'm like, this is weird. And how do you all know this? And where's the handbook? Because I was not given one. And yet at the same time, felt instantly at home. It was the first time that I understood that there was a God who knew me and who loved me and who accepted me and called me his own. And I was all in from the beginning. The summer after my freshman year is when I made the decision to follow Jesus. My parents were not excited about that. They were convinced that the church was a cult. I was being brainwashed and they did everything they could to keep me from church. Uh, So if I didn't get my chores done or my homework done, church was the thing that was taken from me. You know, looking back in my zealousness and all of my awareness as a 14 year old, you know, coming home and telling my parents, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. I understand now why they were like, this is maybe not great that we're letting you go and do this if this is how you're going to come back and interact with us. So it was a lot during my high school years. And at the same time, my faith was always my own. I never had to wrestle with, do I believe this because my parents do? Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, I had to understand why I believed what I believed and have strong convictions because they were constantly being challenged. So how old were you when you first went to Mount Pleasant as opposed to when you gave your life? Same, 14. Started going at the beginning of freshman year and then at the end of freshman year. So what inspired that decision? I I know that it was the summer. I went to a few different camps that summer and kind of realized this is what I want for my life. What I had before pales in comparison to what I'm being offered um, with Jesus. And so sometime in that summer, whether it was multiple messages or just realizing this is this is where I belong and where I want to be. Did your sister make a similar sort of decision? You know, she didn't. Not at that time. Um, we we were in small group together. Uh, but about a year after she stopped going, um, to church as well. So I was the only one in my family. Uh, My brother went for a little bit and got connected to a church when he first went to college, but then kind of walked away as well. So for a while, it was just me going to church and following Jesus and my family. What were some of the struggles that you faced there as a, as a child trying to live out your faith in a family that wasn't? My mom was the most adamantly opposed And she would often play the what if game with me, these impossible scenarios. So what if, Rachel, your child was dying and you couldn't afford the medicine that would save the child's life? Would you steal the medicine? Yes or no? Like trying to get me into these like hyper ethical conjuries, you know, just what would your faith tell you to do, you know, and don't be stupid. Right. And It was a lot of that. It was a lot of mockery. It was a lot of threats. Um, If your dad ever believes what you believe, I'll leave and divorce him. It was 
a lot of, if you decide to go to Bible college, then we're cutting you off financially because we don't agree with what they're going to teach you and we're not going to support it financially. So it was a lot of recognizing the cost of choosing to live the life that I felt like Jesus was calling me to live and the cost of that. Mm, Wow. It's a tumultuous time enough as a teenager, but then to be dealing with that tension as well, that could not have been easy. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) So since that time, have any of the rest of your family come around to faith? Yeah. So what's incredible is for 20 years, I prayed for my family and went through the whole trajectory, right? Of this is my burden. I need to save them. It's my job. Feeling the guilt and somewhat of the shame being pastor in the local church and my own family's not even following Jesus and kind of wrestling with that dynamic to finally getting to a place of releasing them to Jesus and recognizing he desires relationship with them way more than I desire for them to be in relationship with him. And I can trust them to him. And so just really changed my posture throughout those 20 years. But it was at a CIY actually that I was preaching at and my mom was in the audience and she came up to me afterwards and she's like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to begin again. And my dad was the same way. My brother, um, after being married a few years, he's now back in the church. And when I moved from California to Missouri on that road trip, I got a call from my sister and she said, I thought you might want to know that I decided to begin a relationship with God today. I was like, I would want to know that. That's amazing. (laughs) So they're all at different points in their journey. They're all still trying to figure it out like the rest of us are, but they all are moving towards Jesus Mm. in ways that would, I would not have been able to say 20 years ago. Wow. When it did come to the end of your high school career, what paths did you have on the table? What were you thinking and, and how did you ultimately choose Johnson? Great question. So I was in all of the theater productions in high school. So I wanted to be an actress, but at the same time was like, that's kind of a risky career. And I don't know. So then I I landed on becoming the next Katie Couric. So I was going to have my face on a billboard and live in New York City and do broadcast journalism. So I went to University of Missouri in Columbia to pursue journalism. It was my freshman year that I became involved with the ministry Young Life and with Crew. And it was at the end of that year, my freshman year of college, I was hired on at Mount Pleasant, my home church, to be the receptionist and help out with the youth group that I was really wrestling with. Lord, I know that I can glorify you in ministry and I can glorify you in journalism. You just help me understand which way. And that week I happened to be leading the drama for the church camp and the guest speaker that was there came up to me and said, if you ever want a job in youth ministry, I'm going to hire you on the spot. said, huh, interesting. Didn't think much of it. Go back to work and was talking to the youth pastors there and told them what the guy said. Five minutes later, they came back 
to my desk and they're like, we want to hire you. We want you to work for us. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So (laughs) it, it was seriously a month before I was supposed to be back in Missouri. And I transferred schools, found an apartment, all the things and went to work for them and was there for a year and a half when I just got to this point of, I want to get a degree in something that I know I'm going to be using for the rest of my life and not just a general like communications degree. So when I started talking to my parents about that, they initially were pretty open, uh, but their requirement was that I would still get a real degree. So I needed to like get a teaching degree or something that I could fall back on when this ministry phase would be over for me. So as we started talking and as they kind of were wrestling through their own convictions and got to a place where they're like, we're not going to pay for it anymore. That's when I made the decision that if you're not going to pay for it, then I'm not going to pay for a degree that I don't want that to me it would be disobedient for me to pursue and use. Like, I know what God's calling me to. I'm going to trust him to provide and we'll just go from there. So I had friends at Johnson, a Johnson camp team had come and partnered with our youth ministry. And two other points for Johnson were one, it was the cheapest and most affordable And two, they allowed women to take the preaching classes. And I knew that that was a passion of mine. So that's kind of how I ended up at Johnson. Wow. I'm surprised you said that Johnson allowed women to take the preaching classes, but it seems like any of the colleges had to do that. I mean, otherwise it's discrimination. But it was strongly discouraged or it was a separate class just for women. Was there anybody else in your church background that had a history of experience with Johnson that encouraged you in any way? Not necessarily, but a few students from my youth group had attended Johnson and were there currently. And funny story, I got super connected with the people on the camp team and they really encouraged me to apply for camp teams, but I started in January. So I started mid-year and camp team applications were due in November, but they talked to Tim Wingfield at the time and got permission that I could go ahead and apply. And the response back was, we think you'd be great, but it's really hard to justify giving you a spot over current students. But when I showed up in January, they decided they were going to restart CIY camp teams. And so I get the call and I'm hired, but as a team of one. So I'm representing Johnson in my first semester there. I know nothing about the school. I know nothing about (laughs) the background, but here I am representing our university to all of these different CIYs (laughs) for the summer. You decided to come to Johnson then, you knew it was going to be on your dime, and you chose the youth ministry and preaching track. When you entered, was your focus fully on youth ministry? It was. Was there any particular reason why you chose the slash degree as opposed to just youth ministry? Yeah, I had opportunities at Mount Pleasant to preach and teach a lot and knew that I wanted that to be a part of what my ministry would include. And so it was interesting to be sure I was the only girl in the preaching classes and there were lots of opinions 
that I just wasn't aware of when I walked into Johnson because I had incredible support and incredible encouragement from my community at Mount Pleasant. Mm. So I, I remember vividly my first semester at Johnson and coming out of the preaching class and a, a guy in the class was like, what are you doing in this class? And I thought he was joking. And so I was like, well, I believe in female domination of the world. And step one <laughs> is to be an excellent communicator. And so I feel like this will help. Oh, you're not joking. Oh, uh, I think God's called me to it. And so I want to steward the gift well. And I just want to learn. Hmm. And it was shortly thereafter that I remember a very vivid conversation that I had with Jesus that has set me up for the last. 17 years of ministry, 20 years of ministry. And it was simply, Jesus, it's not my job to defend myself. It's your job. If you're calling me to this, it's your job to defend me in it. And it's your job to provide a place for me in the kingdom to use the gifts you've given me. I don't have a point to prove. I'm not waving a flag. I'm not trying to pave the way for anyone. I'm just trying to be faithful. And so you provide the places where I can be who you've called me to be. And that's really has happened in a significant way. You know, if only more people had that kind of maturity when they were in college, I, I think we're walking on dangerous ground when we question God's calling in someone else's life. You know, you, you got to follow what Christ has called you to. Yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things I've had lots of opportunities since to talk to different Christian universities and students who are getting ready to go into ministry and the kingdom's really big and there's space for whatever theological convictions that you hold. And so there's, there's a place where I'm like, listen, if you know you're walking in as a female to an environment that does not believe or agree with women in leadership, and you're trying to bust your way in, you're the point of division and you're in the wrong. You're the one who's creating disunity. And the same for men who are going into an environment where women are allowed to be in roles of leadership. And if you're coming in and you disagree with that and you're raising a stink about it, then that's on you, right? Like there are places that you can find that will theologically align with who you are and your beliefs. And I just encourage a lot of students to know why you believe what you believe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my case, but for so many, I just believe it because this is how I've been taught or this is all I've ever known. And I actually haven't taken the time to do the work, to really become grounded in what I say I believe and why I believe it. Hmm. You know, coming into college as young as you did in your Christian life, it's a completely different foundation for you because you, you weren't raised in a Christian culture where you were taught that women aren't supposed to be there. Right. The mm -hmm. worldview plays such a heavy role in what we think and how we believe and what have you, the places that we were raised in, the people we were raised around. Um, yeah. I think you said something really good there. Question why you believe what you believe. And and really, that's worldview in a nutshell. If more of us would just take time questioning. Yeah. Yeah. And for the, for the sake of just the integrity of what it is that you're saying and going after and supporting and believing, right? Like there's a lot of space and grace in 
my worldview for people who believe completely differently than I do. Mm. There really is. And they're doing great things for the kingdom. And I'm excited that I can call them brother and sister. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) So you had a classmate who challenged you on what in the world are you doing here? From that point on in your Johnson journey, what was your perspective going forward? Obviously, semantics here is important. When we're talking about a preaching class, you have to break down preaching for what it is. It's a proper biblical hermeneutic and good explanation of the biblical text. There is nothing wrong for any Christian in the world to know that, but we call it preaching and suddenly say women can't be there. So how did the rest of your journey go once you found out that student was serious about the question? You know, it was a mixed bag. It really prepared me for the next however many years in ministry because it's been a mixed bag. I had guys refuse to work with me in classes. They refused to, you know, do group work with me. And then I had guys who were my biggest cheerleaders who, after being in class with me for a few semesters and actually hearing me preach a sermon, said that they had changed their mind and had come around and and they were grateful. I had professors who championed me, supported me, encouraged me in ways that I will be forever grateful for. And at the same time, I had every right, so to say, to preach a senior sermon. I had done all of the requirements and yet made a really thoughtful and mindful decision not to do it. Again, I didn't need to prove anything. And I knew that there were a lot of people who didn't know me, who hadn't had the two and a half years to journey with me and to truly know my heart. And I I made that decision not to take that opportunity, especially because after my first semester there, I didn't even know that they gave preaching awards at Johnson. And yet I received one. And then there was a lot of pushback at that time. Uh, that a female had gotten that. And so it was just a lot of learning of when to press in, when to back off, when to just say yes, and when to kind of just hit pause. Wow. During your journey at Johnson, uh, what are some of the experiences that stand out to you? Yeah, so I was a, a unique student at Johnson. I was only there for two and a half years. And during that time, because I was financially responsible, I was working as a waitress at Ruby Tuesday. And I was also, you know, at least 20 hours a week intern at a local church with their youth ministry, junior high. And so I wasn't actually on campus a ton. I was also taking 18 to 21 credit hours just so I could get done as fast as possible. But I will say this, I still am dear friends with the people that I met and did life with during my time at Johnson. And one of the things that sticks out to me the most is there is a group of about five or six of us who were just committed to praying for the people on the campus and the world and what was going on around us. And we would meet in Richardson Hall. And we would meet up there. There was this little prayer room and we would meet up there a few times a week and we would just pray together and seek the Lord together. And it was just a really rich time of being one with each other and doing life together, but 
really seeking the Lord on our fellow students' behalf and the university and our future ministries. Wow. So who were those who were those colleagues? Faith Couch, mm-hmm. Scott Kinsworthy, Kira Sparks, mm-hmm. um, Jessica Ryder, Jessica McTaggart when she was there. Um Kira Brewer now. Um Laura Ashley and Randall Tonini. Mindy and Scott Heller. Those were kind of the, the wow. crew. <laughs> You've mentioned a lot of great names in that series of folks. You know, yeah. Folks they're all doing pretty really wonderful. cool ministries. Mm-hmm. Neat. Twenty my goodness, twenty one to twenty three hours. What's wrong with you? I'm just kidding. I don't I've learned a lot since then. Uh, it wasn't the healthiest of choices <laughs> and yet I got done in two and a half years. So well, yeah, that's, I, you can't you argue with that. I mean, you, you had to pay for it yourself and you did everything yeah. you could to do that. So that, you know, yeah. kudos, kudos to you for that. Do you recall uh, any particular ways in which your spiritual life developed here? I had had a hunger and desire for the word prior to, but during my time, I just soaked it up. I I remember just being in the library a lot and being so excited to learn all these different connections about different stories and everything else that I just had never known before that I, I, I felt a little bit like a fish out of water when I first arrived. But for me, it was just pure delight. Honestly, just to like, I get to study something that I'm really passionate about. And For me, I had already come from doing ministry and then I was currently doing ministry while at Johnson. So everything I was learning, I was able to turn around and apply it. And so it just really kind of cemented a lot of what was happening in the classroom and making it tangible. In your academic experience, what faculty members stand out to you for for any particular lessons or maybe the way they live their lives or anything like that? So I was a part of Margaret Eubanks Scripture Memorization Club. And so just her love for the word and just depositing that within us was a gift. Mm-hmm. I was in Donna O'Brien's small group and would travel uh, with Kevin O'Brien to different churches as a representative of the college. And they became dear, dear friends. Oh, you traveled with Kevin? Mm -hmm. It was when he was the director of church relations. Uh He would like go to speak and then decided to take a couple of students with him to kind of share their experience as well. Mm. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Going through then your two and a half year journey at Johnson, how did you determine what your next step was? Yeah, so I had opportunities to stick around. But six months before I graduated, East 91st Street Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, had somehow gotten my name and started pursuing me for a role in their youth ministry. And we made the decision that that's what I would do a few year, a few months, sorry, before I graduated. And so that's where I headed right after college. So East 91st Street, they were calling you to be their youth minister? So they already had a junior high and a high school youth pastor there. Mm -hmm. And so I was to come on and be a part of that team as an additional youth pastor and kind of 
I was over discipleship in small groups and somebody else was over Sunday mornings and things like that. So we kind of shared roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. It was during my time there that they really pursued me and asked me to get ordained within the church. And it at that point was not something that I had considered. They offered to do it there, but my understanding as I had read was that it was to be the people who have known you and have seen you grow. And so as a result, I went back to Mount Pleasant and talked to their leadership. At that time, they had never ordained a female and yet they had witnessed what the Lord had done in my life and the way in which I was operating with the gifts that he had given me. And so they agreed to ordain me. And one of the things that was really special at my ordination was there were elders from Mount Pleasant, my home church. There were elders from Fellowship, where I had served during my time at Johnson. And there were elders from East 91st Street, where I was currently serving, who were all a part of that ordination ceremony. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. So how long were you at East 91st Street? I was there for two and a half years and started asking questions like, is this all there is? And Lord, if you asked me to give up everything, would I? And what does it really mean to be a disciple? And it was during that time that Invisible Children the ministry working with child soldiers in Northern Uganda, where they were kind of on the scene. Shane Claiborne had just come out with his book, Irresistible Revolution. I had visited the simple way where he was in Philadelphia. And all of that kind of coalesced to me resigning my job and selling my house and finding a Ugandan orphanage online and going and working with them for three months. Three months seems like a short stint. Was there? I knew that it was short term. I knew that it was supposed to be for three months. People question that. They're like, you're going to go and you're going to fall in love. And the reality was I did. I went, I fell in love. I felt home in a way that I hadn't felt it before. And at the same time, my first week in Uganda, I was directed to the call on Ezekiel's life which says it would be easier by far for you to go to the foreign nations because they would listen to you and they would respond, but you are called to your own and they are stubborn and they are stiff necked and they will reject you. (laughs) That is who you are called to. And so it was very clear to me that my time overseas was more of a Sabbath and a respite and kind of a re-energizing for me, but that I was truly called to ministry in the church uh, back in the U.S., So after my time in Uganda, I moved to Southern California and took some time as a nanny and then was hired at Parkcrest Christian Church in Long Beach, California, and oversaw their student ministries, became the teaching pastor there, and then oversaw the missions ministry there. Wow. So you became the teaching pastor over the church? Yeah, so myself and the lead pastor were the primary communicators for the church. Okay. And how long were you then at that church? Seven years. Wow, seven years. Mm -hmm. Okay. What happened after those seven years? During that time, when I made the transition from youth ministry to missions, 
I decided that I needed to get some more education. I hadn't studied missions before. I didn't really know what I was doing. So went to Fuller Theological Seminary and got my master's in global leadership. So I had completed that. In the meantime, ever since I was a Bible college rep for Johnson, two CIYs, I had remained in connection with them. I started speaking for them during their summer conferences, now called MOVE. And they reached out to me about overseeing their missions department, which is called Engage, mm-hmm. and transitioning and moving from California to Joplin, Missouri. They said, we know it's one in a million and you'll never say yes. We want you. If it's not going to be you, then you give us the name. But the more we talked about it, the more I was like, maybe it is me. Maybe huh. I do want to do this. So and what year was that? We made that decision in 2014. I accepted the job in November. Two weeks later, we told the church the next week, it was my last Sunday. And the week after that, we got married. So my husband, born and raised Southern California, (laughs) moving to Missouri, uh, (laughs) it was a hard sell, but he has fallen in love with Joplin. And so... So how did you meet Stephen? We were actually set up on a blind date on New Year's Eve and we kind of hit it off. I was preaching the next day, New Year's Day, he came and listened and we had our official first date on Valentine's Day, dated for a while, got engaged, called off the engagement, broke up, got back together, dated for another year, got <laughs> engaged, got married three months later. So there you go. You know, wow. your typical love story. <laughs> <laughs> All the roses and rainbows. <laughs> well, that's cool. So you started working with CIY. I, I suppose that work there in Joplin then got you associated with Ozark. It did. I was on staff with CIY for three years, overseeing the missions ministry. And all during that time, Stephen and I struggled with infertility. And uh, we're doing a lot of pursuing a lot of different things to try to start our family. Um, We experienced one miscarriage during that time and ended up becoming licensed foster parents Mm. while we were trying some fertility treatments. And it was because of that, that I went to CIY and officially resigned because I knew one way or another, we were going to have kids and I wanted to be home with them as a result of it taking so long and being so hard to get them in the first place. So right after I had that conversation, we actually found out we were pregnant with twins and it was a good decision. Six months into the boys being born, Ozark approached me about starting to teach in their organizational leadership program. They were launching a brand new program. And initially I was like, no, you don't pay enough. Like I could, (laughs) it's a lot of work to be an adjunct professor. But in the end, it was an opportunity to get out of the house, to have to shower, to have adult conversations, you know? (laughs) And so it was worth it. It was worth doing that. And that led me into very quickly deciding to pursue my PhD uh, through Johnson, uh, their leadership studies PhD. I realized I really loved 
the academic environment. I loved being a professor and it was a way to get to be on a school calendar, which I really value as a mom, um, kind of having that freedom and flexibility with the kids. So I've been doing that now for the last three and a half years and working on my PhD for the last two and a half, two. I don't know. You lose track. It's a long process. <laughs> so you're doing the PhD at Johnson. What has that experience been like for you, for those who might be considering pursuing a PhD through Johnson? Yeah, it is definitely a steep learning curve. It is unlike your master's. It's definitely unlike undergrad. And yet it was the next challenge that I needed. After the twins, I had a really hard pregnancy. I joked that the PhD was my new baby. Felt like the Lord was like, do you want to ask me about that? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> if your response is, I want you to have another one, then I don't know what to do with that. But we became open to having more. And then we had two more losses, two more miscarriages, and then got pregnant with Cascade. So grateful. Obviously, the Lord knows better than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I say that I have four children because the PhD definitely takes up a lot of time and energy as well. But it has been incredible. I would highly recommend the way Johnson does the PhD program, the cohort model. It's been really life-giving. Wow. You know, you brought up experiencing the miscarriages and the infertility and things like that. I think it's important to talk a little bit about that just because I think there are a lot of people that don't really realize how often that happens. So in that part of your journey, talk about your relationship with the Lord and how you were kind of trying to battle and reconcile these experiences. It is. It's one of those things where one in four women deal with this, and yet it's It's becoming less so, but it's still pretty taboo to talk about. And it can be really isolating. And it's happening very physically for the woman. And it's every two weeks that it's the cycle of waiting and trying and then not working. And so it was a strain on our marriage. It was a strain on my faith. There was a lot of crying out to the Lord and a lot of frustration, a lot of really bad theology from people that if you just had more faith, if you, you know, just there must be something you need to work out. And I'm like, I just, I don't follow that God. (laughs) I I follow a God who's sitting with me in the sorrow and the pain and disappointment. Um, A God who, who longs for this with me and for me. And so it was a trying time. But what was interesting, uh, what I share with people is I actually cried more tears on the other side of my answered prayer than I ever cried waiting for it. Hmm. I thought I had this expectation that once I got pregnant, once, once that finally happened, that I would just be joyful and gleeful and it would just be amazing because here's this answered prayer and it's tangible. And yet I was in and out of the hospital all of the time while I was pregnant. I had hyperemesis with both pregnancies, which means I threw up all day, every day, up until I had the boys each time. So it was pretty miserable. And I I just remember like, I just want something to be easy. I just want something to feel like relief. And, and it didn't. 
And so it was even the tension of, I have my miracle and I know it's a miracle. And yet this is still really, really hard. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so that was the experience after the twins were born. What's it well, like was, now? What is it like now? Well, now I have two very energetic and very opinionated three-year-old <laughs> boys who like to take turns being crazy or gang up on mom and dad with their craziness. Thankfully, Cascade, our youngest, is the most joyful, sweetest, calm child I've ever met. So he helps bring some balance. But yeah, it's still really hard. <laughs> I mean, being a parent is hard, but it is the greatest joy I have ever known. Mm, yeah. So you are in a very unique spot right now. You have twin three-year-olds, you have a 10-month-old baby, and you are preparing a move two-thirds of the way across the country. Talk a little bit about that. What's going on? Yeah. So this summer, while I was at Johnson during the research summit for the PhD, President Smith approached me and asked me to stop by his office to talk about an opportunity you know, in my mind, I'm like, he's going to ask me to speak at homecoming or something. I don't know. And then he let me know that they were looking for a campus minister and my name had come up and they wanted to know if we'd be interested. And it was just really interesting timing. My husband, Stephen, had been a pastor at a church here in town that had just gone through a pretty nasty church split as a result of the lead pastor being fired. And the church ended up closing their doors this summer as a result of that. So he was kind of in transition. We were going to plant a church in our neighborhood. That had kind of been the plan. But after everything that had happened with the other church, we knew that we needed a pause before jumping into that for our family and our marriage and all of that. And so it seemed like in a lot of ways, doors were beginning to close here in Joplin so the more that we thought about it, prayed about it, the more conversations we had, the more we became interested in the possibility of pursuing that job. And uh, this past September, uh, we said yes. And we're, we're starting in January. We're excited and overwhelmed. So that's a pretty interesting opportunity that's opened up for you here then. How do you envision uh, your new role going here? What I guess I'm curious about what Rachel's rubber stamp is for this? You know, it's interesting. I know that there is an opportunity to help create a depth within the spiritual community at Johnson, um, an opportunity to come alongside students and help make what they're learning in the classroom real and tangible in their life. But at the same time, I don't know what I don't know until I get on the ground and have conversations with the students and with the faculty and, and the different departments that already exist to find out, okay, where, where are the holes and, and how can I be an advocate on behalf of the students and their relationship with Jesus and help to fill some of those. So I'm actually just looking forward initially to coming and learning and asking a lot of questions and 
becoming a part of the community before I have a rubber stamp to put on it. <laughs> you sound like you've been educated. Like <laughs> that was a great answer. <laughs> I'm coming in to learn first and then I'll worry about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might be PhD in leadership and you know, those things. Uh, wonderful. That's so cool. All right. Um, Rachel, this has been a lot of fun. I've really appreciated getting to know you and your journey and, yeah. uh, and and your call and those kinds of things. I want to ask you two more questions before I let you go. Considering all that you've experienced in life and in ministry, what is something that you, you would wish to pass on to other folks kind of just entering ministry? One of the things I tell my students is this idea that God is always more concerned about who you are becoming than what you are doing. I think so often we get hyper-focused on what we're doing for the Lord and we can become really mean, really agitated, really stressed, really overwhelmed. And it's like, what, what? No, no. When Jesus is baptized before he's done anything, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so if, if we spend more focus on who we are becoming, the type of person we're becoming and how we're reflecting his image and likeness, then the doing follows. And so I think oftentimes we get it backwards. Wow. Well said. Okay. So Rachel, the last question I have for you, uh, again, I've asked it of all of our podcast guests. I'm going to give you just a brief time to think about your answer while I do a commercial. But here's your question. For the next minute, everybody in the world is going to listen to this podcast and hear the words that proceed from Rachel Grindle's mouth. What are you going to tell the world in 60 seconds? While you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojournal podcast has been brought to you by Johnson University's Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So, Rachel Grindle, a 2005 graduate of Johnson University, Tennessee, currently studying on Johnson's Ph.D. program in organizational leadership and soon to be the campus minister at Johnson University, Tennessee. What one-minute message would you give to the world? Hi, world. Thanks for tuning in. I would say this. For the first time in our lifetime, we are all connected through an experience through COVID that we are moving out of. Some are still in the midst of. We've experienced incredible trauma, incredible loss, incredible grief. It's the human experience. And I know that through this time, for some, it seems as though we've become more divided, more against one another, more focused on the ways in which we disagree and the ways in which we don't align. And yet, if we go back to the humanity that we all share, we know that there is more that we share in common than we have that separates us. And for me, what has been a saving grace and what has been a foundation during these incredible trying times is knowing that there is a God who knows me and sees me and sees all of the loss and all of the heartache and all of the brokenness and is with me in it. And he's with you and he sees you 
and he knows you and you are not alone. Despite what you may have lost, despite what you may have gained in this last year and a half to two years, there is a God who is for you and he is not against you. And there is hope. There is hope. Good stuff. Looking forward, Rachel, to your presence here on campus and what you and Stephen and your family will bring to the campus life here at Johnson University. Thank you so much for giving me your time today and being a part of the Sojournal podcast. Thank you, Tyson. I appreciate it. The Sojournal podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University, edited by Tyson Chastain, music by Loyal Love, podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard. Tune in to other Sojournal podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.